It was this Sunday, exactly a year ago, that we began a series in the book of Judges. Now, I only preach once or maybe twice a month in our evening service, and so it probably feels like we haven't had a whole lot of uh, continuity, but I trust you've been able to, to keep up with the narrative. In case you're curious, we've had uh, 17 sermons uh, in our series thus far. And tonight, in uh, number 18, we're going to finish the account of the judge, Jephthah. In our last sermon, we considered what Jephthah is most famous for, his vow. And I explained what I think Jephthah intended when he made his vow, and how he fulfilled it. And to be frank, it was pretty depressing. It's not the happiest uh, story in the Bible by any stretch. The last part of Jephthah's story is found in Judges chapter 12, verses uh, 1 through 7. If you would, please follow along uh, in your Bibles as I read these verses aloud. Then I'm going to pray and commit our time of preaching to the Lord. Uh, Judges chapter 12, verse 1. And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon, and didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon, and when I called you, ye delivered me not out of their hands. And when I saw that ye delivered me not, I put my life in my hands, and passed over against the children of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Wherefore then are ye come up unto me this day to fight against me? And Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead, and fought with Ephraim. The men of Gilead smote Ephraim, because they said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim, among the Ephraimites, and among the Manassites. And the Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites. And it was so that when those Ephraimites, which were escaped, said, Let me go over, that the men of Gilead said unto him, Art thou an Ephraimite? If he said, Nay, then said they unto him, Say now, Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth, for he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan, and there fell at that time of the Ephraimites forty and two thousand. And Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then died Jephthah the Gileadite and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story in our Bible tonight. And again, Lord, you know it's not a very happy story. And yet you've preserved it for us. You wanted us to know about this. We know that there are things for for our hearts here. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand the text. I pray that uh, he would take the preaching of your word tonight and impress the, the, the truth of Scripture upon our hearts. We just commit ourselves into your care in Jesus' name. Amen. As uh, has already been mentioned, uh, today is Remembrance Day. The day that marks the end of hostilities in the First World War. The United States joined the First World War on the side of the Allies quite late in the peace. 
but its involvement proved to be one of the decisive factors in the Allies' eventual victory. Uh, The United States officially declared war on Germany in April 1917. Approximately 2 million US soldiers were sent to France, about half of which saw service on the front line. 117,000 US soldiers perished in the war. And while we rightfully focus on the loss of life among the other members of the Allied forces, the British, the French, the Australians and New Zealanders, it is important to remember that the United States suffered greatly as well. In September 1939, a Second World War was started when Germany invaded Poland. And this war became a massive global conflagration. There was fighting in Western, Northern and Southern Europe, Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union, North Africa, Southeast Asia and the Pacific. The United States sent its soldiers into all these conflict zones except for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe. In this war, 407,000 US soldiers perished. That's a huge number. Uh, That's greater than the population of the Sunshine Coast or Wollongong. But if you would allow me to go further back into history, uh, between 1861 and 1865, the Confederate States of America and the United States of America, the Union, engaged in a vicious war over the issues of slavery and states' rights. In this conflict, approximately 620,000 soldiers perished. And some historians believe that number is even higher. That's remarkable, isn't it? We think about the scale of the Second World War, we we think about the power that was unleashed, the, the dreadful machinery of war that was let loose across the globe, and yet... 50% more American soldiers lost their lives in the Civil War 80 years earlier when armies still relied on horses and carts. I begin with this tonight simply to highlight the horror of Civil War. It's probably the worst kind of war, the most vicious, the kind of war that does the most harm. This is what we see in our text tonight, a civil war that left 42,000 Israelites dead. Think about that. 42,000 sons of Abraham dead by the hands of their brothers. 42,000 killed not by hostile pagans... Not by some bloodthirsty warlord who had swept in from far away. Not by the forces of some rising empire that was seeking yet more territory and treasure, but killed by their own kin. We see the awfulness of civil war in history. We see it in this text before us tonight. And I think we understand that when it comes to the conflicts that we find ourselves in, the ones in our homes, in our workplaces, in our church, these seem to be the worst, the nastiest, the most hurtful. 
Now, when, when there is a threat from outside, that, that often brings us together. It can be, be unifying. But when we start to fight with each other, things can get very ugly and have serious consequences. This is how the story ends for Jephthah. With God's help, he defeated the external threat to his people, the children of Ammon. But then he found himself at war with his own side, with his cousins from across the Jordan. Much blood was spilled and then Jephthah sort of fades out. He judges Israel for just six years and then he dies. Now what I'd like to do with this story is make six observations about civil war. Six statements that I believe are generally true. And in doing so, I'm going to make the connection to our lives. I'm going to talk about the conflict that occurs in marriages, in families, in social groups, and sadly even in churches. Now don't worry, I'm going to move through these fairly quickly and then finish with some points of application. So here we go. Number one, civil war often begins with something petty. Civil war often begins with something petty. Not always, but often. What was the issue that sparked this conflict? It was as simple as this. Hurt feelings over not being invited. Verse 1, And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon and didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. (laughs) Why weren't we invited? And when you went up to fight, why didn't you ask us to come with you? You upset us and now we're going to burn down your house and you along with it. (laughs) Now, if you remember, this is exactly the same complaint the men of Ephraim made against Gideon back in chapter 8. And uh, as I said, when we, we looked at that story, if it was me... I'd have been very happy not to have been invited. (laughs) I would have said, thank you for not asking me to come and fight and potentially die. But the men of Ephraim took it as an insult. And I'll say more about that in a moment. But this was petty, wasn't it? I mean, this was small change. A little matter in the grand scheme of things. There was no real harm done to the men of Ephraim. They hadn't suffered much, if at all. They just didn't get to do something they would have liked to do. They just felt a little disrespected. That's it. This grievance was certainly not worth the blood of 42,000 men. But as I said, this is how it often goes with civil war. It starts with something small. A little disagreement. A little disappointment, a little disrespect, nothing major, nothing that was really worth fighting over. And if we'd behaved properly, if we dealt with the matter biblically, then it could have been sorted out without a whole lot of fuss. Now there is probably only one verse in the Song of Solomon that any of us have memorised and it's very relevant to this first point. Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 15 says, Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have 
tender grapes. The little foxes spoil the vines. Little things, little problems, little disagreements, little sins. These are what spoil the good things in our relationships when we don't deal with them properly. We need to take the foxes, catch them, knock them on the head and use their pelts to make a hat or something. You know, if, if we would only do this more often, I think our marriages and our families would be a lot happier. And perhaps our life together as a church would be too. So, civil war often begins with something petty. And then number two, pride is always involved. Pride is always involved. That's what lay at the heart of this complaint by the men of Ephraim. They had a high view of their own importance and of their place within the nation of Israel. They saw themselves as the leading military power and if anyone was going to go to war against Israel's enemies, then they believed they needed to be consulted. They needed to be included. And when they weren't, they felt insulted. They felt disrespected. They felt slighted. The men of Ephraim were... Haughty, and we don't use that word very much, but it's exactly the right word to describe uh, these people. They were haughty. It means arrogantly superior and disdainful, unreasonably proud and unfriendly. There was no law in Israel that said you must invite the tribe of Ephraim to every fight you're going to have against a foreign oppressor. (laughs) There was no treaty among the twelve tribes that stipulated anything like this. Ephraim's sense of preeminence was simply pride. They were puffed up. They were full of themselves. That's all this was, and that's why they were offended. And although the text doesn't say so, one suspects that there was a fair helping of pride on Jephthah's side too. That this dispute got so messy and so bloody suggests that Jephthah was a proud man as well. Evidently, Jephthah didn't much like it when the men of Ephraim accused his people, the Gileadites, of being fugitives. Verse 4, Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim, and the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. Now the Hebrew word translated fugitive in this context carries the idea of scum. You Gileadites, you are the scum, the riffraff, the lowlife of the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. You're interlopers, you don't really belong. And Jephthah didn't like this. And one wonders whether his past experiences made him especially sensitive to this insult. After all, he had been treated like scum, he had been kicked out of his family and his community. Now this slur riled him up and he went on the attack. When pride meets pride, the outcome is never good. Conflict is inevitable. Pride is always a factor in the fights that we have with each other. I deserve to be treated better. I deserve to have my way. I'm entitled to it. I'm right and I'm not going to back down. I've been offended and they need to pay. 
We know what the Bible says about this, don't we? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before a fall. And we often think of this in terms of an individual being proud and then falling, and that's certainly true. But it applies equally to our relationships, to our domestic situations. A haughty spirit, pride. This leads to conflict, and conflict leads to hurt, and sometimes the hurt is so great that relationships break down. You see, someone has to back down. Pride has to be dealt with and removed. You take the pride out of this story, and 42,000 men are still breathing. It often begins with something petty. Pride is always involved. Thirdly, when it comes to civil war, reason goes out the window. Look, please, at verses 2 and 3. And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, ye delivered me not out of their hands. And when I saw that ye delivered me not, I put my life in my hands and passed over against the children of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into my hand. Wherefore then are ye come up unto me this day to fight against me? And we have no record in Scripture of Jephthah calling the men of Ephraim for assistance. And so we don't know if he was being truthful here. Then then again, we have no reason to believe he wasn't. What we have here is a clear, thoughtful answer to this complaint. Now, we called you, but but you didn't come, and so we took it upon ourselves. We put ourselves in danger, and we went out to fight against the Ammonites. Thankfully, the Lord gave us the victory. Why are you angry with us? Why do you want to fight us? Now, if the men of Ephraim were thinking clearly, they would have said something like, Oh, oh! you, you called us, did you? Oh, we, we didn't get the message. Or, we didn't quite understand what you were saying. There must have been some miscommunication. We, we see that you meant us no disrespect. At this point in the interaction, there was the opportunity for discussion, for the two parties to sit down and work things out. If you think about it, the men of Ephraim threatened to do violence to Jephthah, to to burn down his house. But he responded calmly. He gave them an explanation. He invited them to dialogue. But reason was quickly abandoned. The men of Ephraim didn't listen, didn't want to talk through their disagreement. They started hurling insults at the men of Gilead and it was on for young and old. That leads us to point number four. When it comes to civil war, conflict tends to escalate. Conflict tends to escalate. Threats and insults turned into violence and violence into war. What began with hurt feelings and a verbal confrontation ended up in bloodshed. Jephthah and his forces attacked the men of Ephraim and it seems like the fighting wasn't even close. The Gileadites quickly captured the crossing points on the Jordan River and put the Ephraimites to flight. 
Now, I think we've all experienced this. A little argument over something not really that important turns into a great big argument. Sharp words are exchanged. We respond poorly to some perceived slight or some disappointment and suddenly it's as if the damn wall breaks and we're dragging up all of these hurts from the past saying all manner of unkind things. We we see red. We lose our temper. We give in to that terrible human desire for revenge. We draw others into our conflict. We gossip. We slander. The conflict gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the consequences get bigger and bigger and bigger. And this happens because, number five, civil war, a conflict within families or social groups or even churches, usually brings out the worst in people. It usually brings out the worst in people. Now, I'm not going to go into a detailed explanation of this whole business with the word shibboleth. The word itself means a stream. And the Gileadites used it to identify the men of Ephraim who were trying to get back across the river to their homes. The Ephraimites couldn't pronounce the sh sound. They could only manage the s sound. In so doing, they gave away their identities and were quickly killed. It was an ingenious plan on the part of Jephthah and his men. It was also extremely nasty. Why not? Why not just let these men who were fleeing go home? They were no longer fighting. The, the threat had passed. They were trying to escape. Why cut them down? Uh, let, let's be honest, this was cold-blooded murder. This was a massacre. This was like shooting soldiers who've come out into the open waving the white flag or with their hands up. The worst elements of human nature came to the fore in this conflict. And again, drawing a line to our experience, that haven't we all, in the heat of the moment, said things we never, we never thought we could say, especially to a loved one? We got so caught up in the conflict that we treated that person worse than we ever thought we could. You know, we, we wanted to get even so badly. We, we felt justified in doing so. And out of our mouths came words that we didn't think we could ever say. We didn't think we had it in us, but we did. <laughs> Anger, spite, vindictiveness, even hatred. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 19. It's all in there. We are capable This kind of conflict tends to draw out that wickedness. And this brings us to the sixth and final observation I want to make here. When it comes to civil war, the results are often tragic. This is where we started with 42,000 dead Israelites. Think of all the women who were widowed. Think of all the children who were made fatherless. The families thrown into the deepest of grief and into poverty. And for what? Over what? And what about Jephthah? We don't really remember his courage, do we? We don't think of Jephthah as the great deliverer of his people. We remember his foolish 
vow. And maybe this awful story at the beginning of Judges chapter 12. I love how Dale Ralph Davis closes off this section in his commentary. He writes, Ammon is subdued, but there is the grave of Jephthah's only child, and there are the lifeless forms of once cocky Ephraimite militia. Whether from excessive zeal or stubborn pride, tragedy overshadows the salvation Yahweh gives. I would wager that the writer meant to paint it so. I think he wants us to see Yahweh's deliverance tinctured by human foolishness and human arrogance. It's as if the winners can't have a clean win. Civil war usually ends in tragedy like it did here. Marriages are broken. Children are alienated from parents. Friends don't talk to each other ever again. Churches split. Christians walk away from the faith. Perhaps you know some. Or maybe you had a good friend once. A good friend. But you fell out. And you've not spoken to them in years. Makes you sad, doesn't it? This is the end of Jephthah's story. There's already been much for us to apply as we've moved quickly through these six observations, but I'd like to leave you with three particular points of application from three New Testament passages that we know very well. I think one of the major messages for us in this story is to avoid civil war. We don't want to get here. We don't want ordinary little problems and disappointments and hurts to turn into something like this. We don't want to fight with each other and damage our relationships and spoil our fellowship. So what do we do? Well, three texts. First of all, Matthew chapter 7 Verses 3 through 5. If you'd like to turn there. Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine own eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite! First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Before you engage with that person who's wronged you, deal with your own heart, your own life. Pull, out, uh, pull, pull the beams out of your own eye, and then think about how you should respond. For one thing, you'll be seeing a lot more clearly. Maybe as it was with the men of Ephraim, it's just stubborn, stupid, foolish pride. That's all it is. We just didn't get what we wanted or what we thought we were entitled to. If we recognize that it's just pride or selfishness and deal with it as a Christian should, then it will change our whole attitude, our whole response. There's probably not going to be a fight. Maybe as we examine our own behaviour, we discover that we actually contributed to the way that other person has treated us. They treated us poorly because we've been a bit of a selfish cow in our interactions with them. 
We haven't been super easy to live with. We haven't been a good spouse or a good friend. Recognise that. Own up to that. And the heat is very quickly turned down. So we avoid civil war by first of all dealing with our own hearts. And then secondly by resolving grievances biblically. The Bible actually tells us what to do when someone hurts us. And it's not just our pride that's been wounded. It's it's not a perceived slight, but we really have been mistreated. Uh, Turn over, please, to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, uh, beginning at verse 15. Again, these are words directly from the mouth of our Lord Jesus. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. I'm not going to explain all that Jesus said here, and I'm not going to get into a discussion of how this is all supposed to work in practice, I simply want to land on the very first part. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. In my limited experience, this rarely happens. Either the hurt is bottled up and bubbles away below the surface until there is an explosion or other people are told about the offence and not the actual brother or sister who caused it. Even in marriages, I don't think this happens as much as it should. You know, husbands and wives don't get things right between themselves. If there is a legitimate trespass, someone has sinned against you, you're hurt, go and talk to that person. Now, of course, we don't pound our finger in their chest, you treated me very badly. No. We don't approach them in anger, but we approach them honestly and gently with a desire to have the matter dealt with to be reconciled. That's the goal. It's not about vindictiveness. It's not about making them pay. It's about reconciliation restoration. I could say a lot more about this, but for time's sake I won't. For now, let me emphasise the point. If we only followed what the Bible says about dealing with grievances, I think there would be a lot less conflict in our relationships and a lot more happiness. And so we deal with our own hearts first, we resolve grievance biblically, and then thirdly, we Ephesians 4.32. We Ephesians 4.32. You know what I mean, don't you? It's one of the hardest verses in the Bible. I've said it before. It's like a sledgehammer. It hits us with such force. It's so difficult to apply, but it's an absolute essential when we come to this topic and it points us to where we find the power. It points us to Christ and the Gospel. If you want to avoid civil war in your marriage, 
with your children, in your workplace, in your friendships, in this little assembly of ours that we hold so dear, then you and I, we must be kind one to another, tender-hearted, and here it is, forgiving one another. (laughs) Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. Imagine if when the men of Ephraim came to Jephthah, they listened to his explanation and then said, Oh, sorry, we didn't realise you called us. We, we, we missed the message. Please forgive us. Or imagine if when the men of Ephraim started hurling in, uh, insults at Jephthah and the Gileadites, calling them scum, imagine if Jephthah had said to his men, Look, they're, they're just angry. And yes, it hurts to hear them say that to us, but let's be gracious. Let's just forget about it and go home. Imagine what a little grace, a little humility, a little bit of forgiveness might have achieved. I wonder if 42,000 men might still have been alive. Of course, that's just speculation, but you, you get the point. If we won't forgive, if there is more chance of getting blood out of a stone than getting any grace from us, then our relationships will always be difficult. And conflict will always be just around the corner. Now friends, civil war is awful. It ruins the things we value the most. The things that bring us the most happiness. Let's learn what we can from this story With God's help, let's do things His way. Amen.